How am I managing it all and staying chill this back-to-school season? With Ollie Gummies. They're deliciously delightful supplements like Laser Focus, Goodbye Stress, and Blackberries in Sleep. Make it easier for me to find balance amidst all the calendar chaos. Head to OLLY.com to try for yourself. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Happy Saturday, y'all. It's Double G here, Fight Game Podcast Extra. Got a uh, two-parter here on uh, this weekend. Paul Fontaine uh, joins me in the first segment. We talked UFC 289. I wondered if this was going to be the lowest pay-per-view buy rate show of the ESPN era because there's two strong matches, actually really one strong match and you know then a title match depending on if you believe uh, Amanda Nunez has a chance to lose. But Paul talks about some of the stuff that people, you know, unless you're a diehard fan, you may not realize. And uh, he also gives us his best bets after a, a rough 287. He bounced back in 288 with his best bets and is hopeful for Saturday show later tonight that uh, he can go 3-0 again. Uh, so also, John Alba joins the show if you listen to the matt hardy podcast john alba hosts that show he really has a whole lot to do with that show and also the eric bischoff show about the wrestling business he's uh you know he's a really good podcast host and we kind of dig into this a lot of us and i put myself in here because even though my training is in radio broadcasting journalism I didn't really practice the trade all that much like I didn't go and do the reps on the radio station I didn't go and do the reps in the minor league baseball and college basketball I it just wasn't something that I got a chance to do and you know I was already kind of a foot out the door in that profession because the uh, dot-com boom or the even preceding the boom was that uh, was there for me but John is a professional he does this and you you think of you know these wrestling podcasters there's so many out there and you get a different level of hosting experience from a john alba show so we talk about that we also talk about you know the there, there, there's a i would say a difference of opinion on things between dave melter and eric bischoff and since he does a show with bischoff and i do a show with the melter we did talk about that a little bit uh, very fair, though. Very diplomatic. None of us is going to be negative towards our, our, our other partners there. Uh, and before we get to the uh, segment with Paul, Paul's segment leads off, and then we'll get to John. Uh, the Fight Game podcast, so the podcast that exists so that this and really the Fight Game Media Network can exist. John the Rock and I on F4WOnline.com, we changed it up because the... Everything went behind the paywall. Like we had, we had this experiment. Uh, may we may have been doing it for a year, maybe not quite a year, but pretty close. To where we're live, pal, Matt Men, and Fight Game Podcast. We're actually um, 
on the website, but also we had our own free feed. So if you wanted to listen in Apple Podcasts uh, and Spotify and all that, you could find us in our free feed. And we took that away. It was an experiment that I think, you know, we wanted to test how you could uh, buy ads or sell ads for, for stuff. And I think it's just too much work really for the process and the production that goes on over there. And selling ads is, 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 is a job in of itself. So that, that there just wasn't enough time to do that. So we pulled everything back behind the paywall. Not great for us because we like the exposure. But, you know, we're also... Uh, company guys and you know we want to do whatever it takes for f4w online to continue to do well you know being the top uh pro wrestling website out there so uh what we did is we kind of changed up the show and and i talked about this a little bit on that show if you if you heard it we we consider that show kind of a living show like it doesn't it doesn't have to stay similar you know if we don't we're not going to do the same thing we're going to do what interests us but also as the business changes as shows change we both do more than one podcast so we're going to adjust and we're going to switch it up and we did so we are not covering AEW Dynamite as closely as we were though we will talk about it we will talk about AEW a lot and I think we're going to bring in even another new segment might might call it uh, ever so cutely break it down an ode to DX there, but my idea is, you know, John is very knowledgeable on kind of wrestling psychology and setting up a match and what the babyface should do, what the heels should do, where the heat comes in. And I like picking his brain about that stuff. We uh, on uh, on Friday's show we talked about the Ronda Rousey against Caden Carter. Um, I always forget her tag team partner's name. Uh, Kate, her name used to be Casey. I, I forget what the name is now, but. Uh, her, she used to be Casey Cannizzaro. I don't remember her current name. So I was like explaining why I was frustrated with that match on Raw and just didn't think it made Ronda and Shayna play to their strengths and they're selling for goofy drop kicks and high flying stuff and that's just not what they're good at. And so it, it kind of jogged my mind a little bit to go, you know, we should have a segment where we take a match. And we just kind of talk about it and we give people the match beforehand. So if they want to watch it or if they remember it, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, a famous match. It could be something that, you know, it's just interesting to talk about. And, you know, we have a we have a Patreon and we do the WCW 96 show for the Patreon. And there's a lot of that in that show. And there's also a historical context to this stuff. And that's the stuff that I really like is looking at something and digging into the the background of it and why it happened and so we may do that it's it's an idea it's something that i i think we can do maybe get a little bit of fan participation in there as far as picking a match or something but i think we're going to try that for upcoming the uh, upcoming uh, fight game podcast on f4w online if you are not a member of f4wonline.com you can go there and become a member obviously the wrestling observer newsletter and then all the brian and Vinny shows all the wrestling observer radio shows one of which I am on. I did one uh, just yesterday, Friday afternoon, with, with Dave Meltzer talking about his Iron Cheek biography. Uh, but if you do listen to the Fight Game podcast and you have some feedback for me, gg at fightgamemedia.com. All right, enough of this uh, preamble here. We're going to send it over to uh, my segment with Paul Fontaine talking about UFC 286. 
as he has since the day before, and based on when people listen to this, probably the day of, the UFC pay-per-views, since this podcast has existed, Paul Fontaine is joining to talk about UFC 289. He's going to give his best bets, and we're going to catch up on how he's been doing on the previous best bets. But I also wanted to add a little wrinkle, because as I was looking at this show, I was like, man, who's going to buy this show? <laughs> and I, I'm looking at it from more of a casual fan perspective, because as my UFC fandom has been interrupted by just so much other wrestling stuff, um, I'm not with the day-to-day with the UFC as much, and so I rely on people like Paul and Ryan Frederick to kind of keep me up. And so I thought it would be interesting to get Paul's perspective as a, as a hardcore fan as well. What What would be the selling points to this show? Like if Paul... If it was not part of Paul's process to buy every UFC show and watch every UFC show, like what are the selling points for maybe that that some of the casual fans don't see about why this show could be good? So first, Paul, welcome back. Thank you. The opener. The, the, you're, you're like uh, you're like the the devil race. Orange Cassidy. Who or, or, or from a wrestling perspective, you you could do uh, yeah. that. I, I I would say like for the Giants, whenever they have oh. uh, you know whenever the, the they they want to put a space in to give their starters some rest. They bring in <laughs> John Brebbia to come in and throw an inning to start the game. So you're the Brebbia here. Okay. Uh, well, but Brebbia's cool good. He's a good yeah. pitcher. Um, that's cool for me. So let's talk about how we've been doing here with these sure. uh, these best bets. How how did you do for the last UFC show? So the last UFC show was 3-0, which is good. Can't get any better than that. Um, nice so overall. Back. Yeah, so overall three and three, and if if I had placed a one hundred dollar bet on every single fight, I'd be forty two dollars in the hole, which is really basically even because you know they the casinos take a cut, <laughs> so <laughs> you kind of have to be a little bit over five hundred to make money in gambling. So, um, but but that's not bad, you know, not not bad for a start. And uh, yeah, and and I got some, I, I think I got some good picks here. So, um, and and yeah, and you know, like to to go to your first point there. If I was, if I didn't have a podcast um, covering this, and I was picking and choosing which UFCs I would buy, and this, you know, it's like, what is it, like eighty-five bucks now? Yeah, um, I think it's like sixty here still. Um, I would prob, I might skip this one, but uh, you know, if if I was really bored and wanted to convince myself to buy it, I think I got some selling points for you. Well, here, here's what I really love about the UFC, and I mentioned this before, which is. You get a little FOMO when you see mm-hmm. all your friends talking about a show, especially if you're on Twitter. And, you know, that's what I miss during Saturday nights. You know, I'm seeing like you and Ryan and Andres Hale and Jason Hagholm and Nick Baldwin and all these guys just talking about fights and you, Kevin Ioli. And I'm like, man, this, this seems like a lot of fun. And sometimes it, the fight may not even be good, but you just see so many people talking about it. You kind of get like intrigued, and and you know if I if I was uh, if I was around uh, Saturday night, even though it's this is not like a giant uh, a giant event, I would probably try and find my way over to Dave's to watch it. But have some stuff going on with the kids this weekend. Um, let, let's let's tackle that piece first, and then we'll sure. we'll do your best bets at the end. Yep. Um, I know. This was supposed to be a different fight as as the mm-hmm. headliner, 
it was originally supposed to be uh, Juliana Pena in this role. Um, she had to pull out, and she is replaced by Irene Aldana, um, who was she was supposed to be on this card originally. Mm-hmm. Against yeah, she Ra- was going to fight Ra- Raquel Pennington. Yeah. Okay, so she is now the the uh, the main event fighter against the goat of uh, Amanda, Amanda Nunez here. That in of itself, you know, when you kind of get like a, a fight that's supposed to happen and then it doesn't happen and, and the main event is not, is not as big anymore because there's, you know, there's some grudge there w- with, uh, with Pena, especially because, you know, she beat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that, you know, I, I would, I was looking forward to that, but Aldana from Pena to Aldana, that does sound like a bit of a drop off. I mean, yes and no. Uh, personally, for me, like I wasn't necessarily interested in seeing Nunez against Pena again. The first fight, Nunez was coming off of COVID, and I think she took uh, Pena a little lightly. So the second, the second fight was basically an extended beatdown for five rounds. Like she didn't finish Pena, but she thoroughly dominated her. Yeah. And I, I, you know, the only thing that would have been different, I think, in in a third fight, you know, maybe she would have finished her, or maybe we would would have just got a repeat of the second fight. I don't think there's much chance that we would have saw another upset. Whereas with Aldania, it's a new challenger, um, and and there's an interesting storyline here that I haven't really seen a lot of people talk about, but Ryan and I talked about it on In the Clinch on the Fighting Media free feed, um, where we've had Mexican fighters fighting for titles this year and winning <laughs> and uh you know and and when a when a mexican fight star as you know you being a fight fan it's mm-hmm. the same thing as as ufc i mean they're like the biggest star in the world when you know in mexico when they win a title and we had um uh brandon moreno uh win the flyweight title we had yari rodriguez win the interim featherweight title we had um oh man i'm drawing a blank here on her name um the flyweight, the girl that beat Valentina Shevchenko. Um, I do this all the time, but I was there live. <laughs> I saw it. Um, and she's Mexican as well. And, and, uh, it was a great moment. So for me, like, I, you know, I, I either, I'm Alexa like, Grasso. I, I just looked that's it. Up. it. Alexa Grasso. I'm so bad with names. This is why I have Ryan. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, so for me, like, I think we're either going to see the goat do what she does or we're going to see an incredible upset that's going to be a great moment. And I think those fans in Vancouver, this is the first time UFC has been back in Canada in four years. Um, I think that they are going to react strongly to whichever one of those it is. Either, you know, Nunez just doing what she does or a great upset with with Aldana winning. So either way, you win. And uh, so I think it'll be a great moment. And we don't know how many times we're going to see Nunez fight again. Yeah. You know, she's, I think she's 36 um 35 36 and she's fought a lot and she you know she kind of hinted at retirement yeah 35 at different times um so you never know and so for me like as a big time ufc fan i'm gonna tune in when when she's fighting that's a great point because i felt that way even as guys like anderson silva got old because of the the body of work and you never knew when it was going to be over you kind of wanted to you know you kind of wanted to see him because you didn't know if you're going to miss yeah. him, you know, last fight or whatever. So that, no, that's, it's a great selling point uh, for Amanda Nunez and, and Amanda Nunez fans. 
What are some other selling points? I think I asked you to yeah. come up with three. Yeah. yeah, and I did. And I actually I had a fourth as well, but I, I I'll stick to main card because you know I'm trying to convince you to to flop down the the eighty bucks. Yeah, and, you know you can get the prelims for free, so you know we don't need to talk about that. But the co-main is is a great fight. Um, Charles Oliveira, former lightweight champion, um, you know, coming off losing the title, but before that he had a super long win streak. And he's up against Benil Dariush, who himself is on an eight-fight win streak and arguably has already earned a title shot, but it's Benil Dariush, <laughs> you know, and lightweight is mm-hmm. is very stacked with a lot of big names. You know, you're Dustin Poirier, you're Justin Gaethje, you know, even Tony Ferguson, obviously Connor, um, you know, like all these guys that, you know, more often than not, UFC is going to go with the bigger name as opposed to the bigger uh, guy that, you know, that's got a big win streak. And Islam Makachev, for the longest time, the current champion, suffered from that and then finally earned a title shot and then and won the title. So I think this is where we're at with Benil Dariush. If he can get past Charles Oliveira, you have to give him a title shot. And Oliveira, in the meantime, you know, if he can beat another top contender, he can get a rematch for his belt. So it, it's a great fight. You've got both... Darius is an incredible grappler, but Oliveira is a, a submission machine. Um, Oliveira is probably a better striker, but Darius is incredibly durable. And I'm just looking back at his record. He has been knocked out a couple times. Um, so, you know, there, there is that damage. Um, in fact, every time he's lost, he's been finished. So, you know, if it goes the decision, it's probably going Darius's way. But but he is vulnerable to getting finished. So I, I I'm kind of leaning towards Oliveira. Um, and and we'll get into that in my best bets. Um, but um I think it's gonna be a great fight. And and Darius is kind of quietly entertaining. He's got a weird kind of charisma about him. I remember a few years ago I, I he called out like a 185-pound guy, like after <laughs> his fight. Like he's just he's kind of a weird dude. But you know, uh b- both of these guys uh, and and Oliveira, I, I would say, was one of the stars of the pandemic and the empty mm-hmm. arena scene. But you know, both of these guys, you know, during the pandemic, they fought some of their best. They they were at some of their best, and so that not that that means anything uh, because you know we're back with fans and everything. But yeah. I just remember, like, if I think about the time frame of where the UFC was the only game in town when it came to the pandemic, because Dana White was just like, yeah. Who cares about the who cares about this virus? We're putting it in out fight now. They they took pr- protections and stuff, but that was kind of his mentality is I'm not gonna let this thing stop our business and we have a fan base that supports us. Oliveira, you could point to as one of maybe the top five guys who took advantage of that time frame to 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 become star and to keep his stardom. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh he fought uh I'm looking at his record four times in uh, 2020. Well, I guess a couple of them were grappling matches, but yeah, he definitely, um, you know, kind of solidified his status as a kind of an all-time great during the pandemic for sure. All right, what else? What What are some um, of the other things? So I, I said Nunez. I said Oliveira. We've also got a fight, um, and it's funny because I'm super excited about this fight. Ryan is super excited about this fight, and I was looking at his history, and it, there's a real good chance that a lot of listeners and probably maybe even you have never even seen this guy fight um nate landwehr um against dan ige on the main cards featherweight fight landwehr last year had 
I would say the best fight of the year. Now, the the fight that was pretty much the universal consensus for for best fight of the year was uh, Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prochaska because it was mm-hmm. so back and forth, dramatic and everything. But they had a fight on the uh, undercard of a fight night. It was actually the co-main event, but it was uh, in August of last year and against David Onama. And this was just a back and forth war where these guys just went at it, like just threw down, you know, land where I compare him. He's a modern day Diego Sanchez. Like he's probably never going to win a title, but he is always going to have exciting fights. And he's insane. Like he'll, he'll cut just the, the most bizarre promos after the fights. And he, he's the kind of guy that, you know, we'll, we'll get in this war. He'll be bleeding and he'd go back and fight 10 minutes later. If you ask him to, <laughs> like, he's just, he's nuts. And, and I'm just like, I have super high expectations for this fight as I always do with Nate Landwehr and, and more often than not, he over delivers. So I, I would say that that fight is very likely to steal the show. I mean, I think most people are expecting Oliver and Darius to be the fight of the night, and it very well could be. But I, my money's on uh, Landwehr and uh, Ige, because uh, and Ige is another one who's had great fights. He had a memorable fight with Calvin Qatar a few years ago. Yes, uh, that yeah, that got a lot of match of the year votes. So I think this match was kind of put there to be that kind of fight, you know. And uh, there's usually one of these on every main card, and this is this one. So you know, I was, I think I may have even mentioned this the last time we talked, but. One of the things that you get if you just have an ESPN Plus subscription is at some point they put the pay-per-view up for your subscription. You know, it might be three months old or whatever. But there, you know, there there needs to be some sort of and they may have this and I just may have not found it. But like they, you know, to take a, a tile on ESPN Plus and say, you know, here are the best fights of. January uh, here the okay. best yeah, yeah, fights yeah. of you know whatever that's so a that, great idea so that if you don't have time to go through all, every single show you can just find like the most exciting fights or the biggest moments or whatever because they have so much content and all they do as far as I know is here's the last week's show and it's up yeah. the full seven hour stream and then here's the pay per view and it's up and you know half of the you can, you can search for fighters I think so like if if you want to go back and look at Nate Landwehr fights I think like you can just type his name in and it'll pull up his fights so um, yeah I think for, you can for, do that for people listening or watching um, I would you know if you got some time maybe do that <laughs> and you'll see what I'm talking about with Landwehr because because he's uh, he's one he's fun to watch <laughs> yeah the, you know I I keep telling myself at some point and it may just be background stuff but. You know, going through the catalog of pay per views that I didn't get to watch and just kind of having them running. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of times, like, you know, you can go back a couple years and someone will be on an undercard and, and then you see them now and they're like, they're actually on the main card. And you're like, oh, wow, like, I, I'm interested in going back and seeing how they got here. I did that a lot during the pandemic as well when, you know, uh, and somebody who, yeah. who was a big topic of last week for uh for you or yeah for for you and ryan kai Kaur france like that's oh, yeah. I, like i watched him during the pandemic just by going through those shows going like you know because i was doing a little bit of uh you know moxley and i would do the yeah scouting and then try and figure out you know for for these previews and i was like wow like this guy's really dynamic and so that's someone who i i wouldn't have really caught on unless i was going back and watching old fights and stuff 
Yeah, no, I, uh, I I remember that with you, with you and Mox and you telling me his thoughts on Kaikar France and uh, yeah. it, it was kind of cool. Um, and the the other two main card fights are you know they're Canadians, so that there should be good uh, response. Mike Malad is uh, a Team Alpha guy, uh, you know, with Uri Faber and those guys, and he's been a coach for a long time. And this will be his second UFC fight. And Marc Andre Barrio is a middleweight. And uh, he's uh, from French, French Canada, obviously, and he's up against Eric Anders, and that's a middleweight fight that'll kick off the card. So, you know, honestly, every single main card fight uh, has the potential to be, um, you know, so- something good. So, you know, I'm, I, th- I think it'll actually turn into a pretty good card, just not a lot of marquee value. Yeah, I'm hopeful for, you know, the people who do stick with yep. the show that they do get a good show because a lot of times that that is what happens is yep. you know, kind of the underdog show can often over, over deliver. So I'm hopeful for that. And and like you said, I think the Amanda Nunez piece, now that you've said it, that's probably your best selling point is here's one mm-hmm. of the greatest fighters, you know, uh, of the last 10 years. And you never know how much longer she's going to fight. So, you know, you got to take the opportunity. Yep. And, and I think the hardcore fans that get most shows for them, it's Oliver Darius. So, Either way, you know, Amanda's there for kind of the heart, the casuals, and and uh, Oliver's there for the hardcores. So. All right, let's get into your uh, best bets here. Yeah, they're actually all on the main card. Um, and um, first one is uh, actually Nate Landwehr uh, that I mentioned earlier. He's got 77.5% ROI, and uh, for those that haven't heard before, it's basically for every dollar you invest, if he's got 77.5% ROI, that's 77.5 cents of profit that you would make. So he's a plus 190 underdog, and he's actually 4-0 as an underdog in the UFC. So to me, that's like it's a pretty good one. And uh, Ige's had a, had a lot of high-profile losses as well. So I, I, I do, I feel pretty confident about this one. Uh, Charles Oliveira in the co-main event, 57.6% ROI. He's actually a plus 105 underdog, although that line's been going back and forth all week. And Why do you, you think he's the underdog here? Uh, because Darius is really good. Um, and uh, Oliver's coming off a loss. And uh, but I, I mean, he's I coming would, off of a loss, but it's like... Yeah. A, I a would make him the favorite. The, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, this is a, a loss. Uh, he, he basically lost to the evil boss in the video yeah. game that you no one can get past like that's the loss here yeah well i guess to answer your question though is it just tells you how good dariush is Got you it. know and and how or how good he's perceived to be i guess right. would be would be the best way to put it but um i do expect to finish uh here i expect Oliver to finish him is there anything uh, to uh i mean because we mentioned it Oliver was yeah. so busy he was mm-hmm. he, he became a star uh musty fighter but at the same time being very active and very busy is putting wear in the tires. And then you run into the machine and you lose to the machine. And do you think there's any physical wear and tear coming off of this run that could be there? Or is there a mental fatigue uh, that's possible? Because this happens a lot in UFC where Mm -hmm. you see somebody and you're like, wow, this guy was on a run. They had one loss. Great. That's fine. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, there's there's a couple more losses that that come out of it as obvious. But obviously, they're also thrown into the wolves with the competition because the UFC, they do not give you any favors whatsoever. When you start winning fights that you're get you're just getting matched against beast after beast after beast. You don't get very many patsies uh, once you get up to a certain a certain level. Yeah, I definitely think there's something to that, to what you're saying. The other thing you got to look at is, you know, to Oliveira, he's 33 years old. 
but I think he's a very old 33. Yeah. Um, he's been around forever. Um, he's fought 30 times in the UFC um, since debuting in August 2010. So that's 30 fights in 13 years. Um, and most of those have been wars. So, you know, it's it, at some point that's going to catch up to you. And I look at a guy like him. I look at a guy like Max Holloway, you know, that like at some point it's just going to catch up to you. And maybe that's going to happen here. And maybe that's what people are looking at. Whereas Dariush has, you know, not fought nearly as often. Um, he's basically the same age. He's one year older. But, you know, he doesn't have nearly the the track record of, of these wars that um that that Oliveira has so you know that that's probably part of it as well but but again I still favor I still favor Oliveira um and he is uh he's got a three and one record as an underdog over his last 10 fights so um you know I think that there's there's value there for sure and then the main event is Amanda Nunez actually has a 44.8 percent ROI over her last 10 fights and she's a minus 330 favorite which was surprising that she's not a bigger favorite to mm-hmm. me. Um, I would have probably guessed she would have been like six to one. So mm-hmm. I think there's great value there at, at only minus three thirty. And um, you know, depending on when you're watching or listening to this, you you might want to get in on this quick because I think a lot of the smart money that comes in late is going to come in on Nunez. And, why do and you think might switch? Why do you think that is? If you were to guess, the what, loss what, to Nunez for sure, or to um, uh, Pena. Is, is part of it. Maybe some of the momentum of the Mexican fighters, you know, could be playing part with, with some, mm-hmm. with, you know, with the odds makers and, and you know what, to be fair, um, uh, Aldana has looked good. Like she's her last, she's finished uh, her in her last two fights, which doesn't always happen with the female fights. Her previous loss was to Holly home, you know, former champion. Um, and, but she's four and one in her last five fights. So she's not, you know, she's a legitimate contender. Yeah. Um and, and again it's short notice, so a lot of times things weird things happen on short notice. So yeah, strategy wise, yeah. For for yeah. the champion, it yeah. could it could often not not be good. But but uh Nunez is six and one as a favorite, and obviously the the one loss was that one to Pena when she was coming off of COVID. So yeah. I think she's fairly safe and you don't usually get odds like that with her. So I, awesome. I, I'm gonna jump on that. Yeah. All right, you know what I just realized? UFC 300 is going to be next year. Yeah, Jim Miller, baby. That's insane. Uh, yeah, he Jim Miller, he won last week. He had his quickest knockout in history. Fight Game Media tie-in. Uh, the guy he beat is a good friend of James McDaniel. That hosts No way. The, yeah, yeah, that hosts the the Boom. And uh yeah, he took the fight on 2 days notice and he got knocked out in 26 seconds by Jim oh, wow. Miller. Uh, but yeah, Jim Miller's going to fight and he'll be he'll have been on 100, 200 and 300. Amazing. So that that's cool, and that's Ryan figures that's going to be April or May of next okay. year. So okay, yeah. crazy, right? That is insane. Yeah. And, but what if it's in May? They yeah. should just run Memorial Day weekend like they used to. I know to. they they like to take those weekends off. Man. Uh, man. I, I don't know. They used to be but, such a big weekend for. Um, but you know, I, yeah. I don't want UFC and AEW to be going head to head. Well, I'd rather they could just move AEW somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> we All right, about th- that. All right, Paul. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, I, I enjoy doing it. You you kind of keep me in the loop on this stuff. And uh, next is uh, my conversation with John Alba. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. 
Like maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome, John Alba. For video folks, that is not Andrew Zarian. <laughs> that is John Alba. When when did the uh, when when did that thing happen? You had met Andrew somewhere, and you guys were just taking pictures. No, it, it happened before we even met. Oh, it, really? I, the internet was just trying to will that into existence, and then when we physically met in person, then we had opportunities to take pictures galore. And then last week, I got dinner with him, and someone actually photoshopped our faces on each other's bodies (laughs) and it it looked like it could have been totally legitimate you would have never known our bodies were exactly the same with the different heads on them that my favorite one is the picture that you have with his wife with oh yes 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 (laughs) that one was hilarious she's like a night out with the hubby (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that was a good one so hey so thanks for doing this uh we've chatted before a couple times on we're live pal i've i've hung out with you in line waiting for <laughs> uh i think is that all out it's all out sprawl uh, uh, out yeah yeah exactly um and we're gonna talk some wrestling here we have to talk a little bit of wrestling but i'm so fascinated by the journalism aspect by the content creator aspect by the host aspect of your career so i'm definitely gonna hit on a lot of that stuff but you know this is generally a wrestling podcast so i'm gonna hit you with a few things early on, and let's take it back. And I usually kind of save this question for the end, but I think it will fit better here in the beginning. What is your first pro wrestling memory? 1997, October 5th, 1997, Bad Blood, Hell in a Cell, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker. That's got to be Kane. That was the night that hooked me. That, okay, that so it. so how old are you at this point? Do you want me to say that? Like, yeah. Do you want me to answer that? Like, well, you're, yeah, you're, you're a pretty young dude. I'm, I'm 30. So I was four years old. I was four and years so, old. So I, I, I knew your age and I knew the time frame. But the reason why I wanted you to say that is because you're a four-year-old and we are right in the, like, the, the right precipice of the Attitude, of the era, attitude era, right? Yep. So... Probably shouldn't have been watching, but you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, but we were all watching stuff at a young that's, age. That that's we what I try to watching. tell people. I try to tell young people that too, who are like getting into wrestling, that legitimately everyone and their mother was watching pro wrestling from 1997 to 2001, and when pro wrestling was outdrawing Monday Night Football, I think that says something in and of itself. So, I have uh, I have two kids who are. You're actually closer in age to my kids than you are to me. That that's uh, <laughs> that, I, I want to say that there. So my kids are in their early twenties. Okay. Uh, my oldest will be twenty four in uh, in a few weeks, 
And I remember, you know, you're, when they're growing up, the iPhone is, is just like the thing. It's becoming like the utility gadget of our lives. And I remember uh, they're, in the, they're in the music and they're young when uh, Jay-Z and Kanye's Watch the Throne comes out. So I'm thinking like I'm cool parent, right? So I buy the normal version for myself and then I buy the version with the uh, with, with the curse words uh, blurted out for them. And I'm thinking like, oh, I'm cool parent. And then I realize I'm like, wait, they have an iPod, which has access to a web browser. Then they were soon to get their phones, which, you know, have access to. And I'm like, why even? Like what is the, what is the um, maybe to make me feel good so I can tell sure. the story to I other did the parents, right but, thing as a parent right but like you know it's the wild wild west with what people can watch and I always remember I think it was the UK would say oh yeah like we have nudity on our TV like no big deal and they're like and so when that happens when you're younger and you kind of see this when you get older like it's oh no big deal we saw this stuff when when we were kids yeah. so I kind of wonder if that effect uh, happens more so these days, because me, I'm older than you, obviously, but growing up, it was like this, there was this time and place where everybody was afraid that their kids were going to get kidnapped. And so you have these overprotective parents and then, you know, and then, so how do I, history, history repeats itself, huh? Right. Right. So I I just, but I do wonder, like if you grew up in the attitude era, like nothing that happens in pro wrestling today can really offend you or surprise you or alarm you. Like you've seen it all. I don't know if I'd say that nothing offends you because I think you can look back objectively on that era and decide for yourself what was kosher and what wasn't right. You can look back and say, uh, you know, that really doesn't age very well. And there's a lot of that stuff that really doesn't age very well oh yeah oh yeah we did a rewatch on our patreon uh we did 97 and 98 back to back over the last two years some stuff there man and and even stuff that's and like you cannot find the degeneration x doing the nation of domination it's not on the peacock feed anymore they just eliminated it as as they should have right uh, just how it is we we look back i i watched i was with a buddy last night and we watched me myself and irene the old jim carrey movie from 2000 and i i that movie's like a guilty pleasure of mine but i it, it was my first time watching it in a really long time and i'm watching i'm like oh my goodness this is just even the year 2000 and so much of this stuff yeah ages so poorly so yeah when you talk about it in that prism we did see a lot of crazy, crazy stuff, but I do think you can be objective and say, ah, you know, that really doesn't age all that well, all these years later. And if someone were to try something like that again, just for the sake of the shock value, I don't know how much equity it would carry. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy because you have something like Twitter and Facebook and, your thoughts as you know, I'm growing up, like I have these thoughts and I'm learning, but I don't have a place to write them down and put them into like a historical database. Right. Like my thoughts are just like my thoughts and they change and I grow up and I go, okay, I might've thought this, but now it's really this. But now these people on social media, every single thought or frustration or happy moment is just sort of cataloged forever in some cases forever i mean if you're slick enough you can get out of there early but like imagine being on twitter in the early days 
and and saying a joke that now in 2023 is not a good joke anymore and that thing is just immortalized and even so too like people make honest mistakes in things they say sometimes someone will say something not realize entirely I'm, i'm guilty of it myself you say something you put it out there and you're like oh you know what actually I can see how that can be misconstrued or or that's not what I was actually trying to say, or maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I didn't read something all the way through and I'm like, Oh, I I should recant that. And yeah, but it's out there. Right. (laughs) And I mean, people we're human. We make mistakes. We're honest people or you try to be an honest person. And man, I've been on the receiving end of that many times. It's to the point where it's cost me opportunities. Wow. Opportunities where I make a very innocent comment that is not meant with ill will. And, you're like, oh, wait, you know what, actually, and I mean, that happens. I see it all the time, too, yeah. amongst peers. You know, I, I tried to I try to go as many podcasts as I can without mentioning the name Dave Meltzer, but he's just a, like he's a lot of his work is just in everything that we do. But I, you know, I like to read old observers for research purposes, and I'll ask him sometimes. I'm like, really, the flabulous moolah? You know, the junk food dog. And he's like, well, you know, back then you're you're writing for comedy and the tastes are much different. And, yeah, and a lot of the stuff Dave wrote was really bad taste. And he's like, I'm, you know, I'm I'm writing that stuff not only to make myself laugh, but also I kind of know who's reading and, you know, the, the people get a kick out of it. So, it's, I mean, like, you know, writing, thinking, have, having the foresight in 1984 is impossible to how your work translate 40 years later. But yeah, I mean, you know, he, and for, for him, for them, like for the wrestling observer, they could have, you know, gone through that stuff with the fine tune comb and they're like, Nope, let's just put it up. It's just history. It's, it's what it is. But yeah. So, you know, that, that, that is uh, that is a whole other conversation, not one that I want to have with you today, but it could be a fascinating podcast down the line. Um, okay. So, you are obviously involved in many projects within the wrestling business. You mentioned 1997 Hell in a Cell as your first real dug-in memory of pro wrestling. My Big Bang moment, I call it. Now, you grow up through the Attitude Era, through the post-2000 WWE. It's real, There's no WCW anymore. It's really WWE and then TNA if you're watching TNA, but... Like, how does how do you watch wrestling today versus how you were watching it as a fan? Because I imagine it's so vastly different in how you're watching it today. There's two elements to that. There's the media critic in me. There's the person who watches it from that avenue. But then there's also something that it's funny. I've been doing this for so long, and, and I think there's a lot of people who still don't fully know this about me but i've been working in indie wrestling for going on eight years now where i've I've been a manager i've been part of creative for multiple promotions i've wrestled matches uh you know one-offs for for comedy more than anything i'm involved coaching with the monster factory right now so the way that i watch wrestling honestly I, I watch it almost like how a pitching coach would watch a pitcher and try right. to identify things in storytelling, in movement, and that's how I consume it. That's how I digest pro wrestling. I do a thing on my Patreon, the Wrestling According to Alba Patreon, that I do every week called Tape Study, where I will pick a match and we'll break down a match move for move and 
say, okay, why does it make sense to do a side headlock takeover coming out of this? And that's something that I think a lot of wrestling fans, if you're like a diehard wrestling fan, you crave something like yeah. that. Like, oh yeah, like, like, but be a nerd with me, right? And that was kind of something I learned from my time as a producer at MLB Network. I was producing television for Pedro Martinez. Yeah. For the likes of that, where I'd be in production meetings and Pedro would be talking about the difference between releasing a ball here versus releasing a ball here. And all of a sudden that gets my brain going and saying, wow, I, I never thought about how that might even affect something. And that's kind of how I consume wrestling as a result. That That is an amazing answer. I did not know that you were going there, but I'm glad you did because that kind of leads to my next point, which is wrestling today is very different than it was and in and, and, and really positive ways. And so, sometimes, you know, I think people wish that the product was a, a little bit different. But, you know, you have these two competing products. Obviously, WWE is so uber successful that, you know, they're just in a different stratosphere. But you have this up-and-comer, you know, AEW, who's been around now for four years. And they've really cemented themselves as maybe the most solid number two organization, uh, you know, in, in forever. Um, but... If you watch an AEW match with the fundamentals, as you understand professional wrestling, sometimes they do what you wouldn't suggest fundamentally because of kind of what their crowd is into. So how do you reconcile that when you're watching these shows? I think companies play and should do this. Companies should play to their audience, play to the people who are willing to pay lots of money to see you. I don't have an issue if a company structures the majority of its matches to appeal to certain demographics or certain audiences, because if those people are willing to pay money to see them and to keep them going, well, then I understand it. If AEW had matches that were all in the same vein of every major WWE match, what would be the point of AEW exists? Yeah. That's how I look at it. So I have a deep appreciation for how different companies have matches. Are there styles that I don't love? Sure, there are styles I don't love that don't appeal to me personally. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to sit here and invalidate that form of the art. That's kind of the way that I look at it. And I think we live in an era now where, too, there is so much hybrid product out there. WWE... Back in the Attitude Era, you turn it on. You were lucky if you got a match over five minutes on Raw. Yeah. Now, w- without multiple run-ins, run-ins and chaos or, at the end. or yeah. whatever, right? Now, this past week, they just said Gunta <laughs> and Kevin Owens tear it down, right? And that's a type of match that plays to an AW fan base audience. But we see more variety, and I just I think that's a good thing, and that's how I consume the product. I'm, I'm very open-minded. I believe that anything can be wrestling as long as there's proper thought put behind it. I do a podcast with Broken Matt Hardy. Yes, if exactly. If that can be wrestling, then I'm genuinely very open-minded. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. I, I can't wait to talk about that. But it's funny you mentioned this this last Raw because I watched the, the Kevin Owens and Gunther match, and I was like, this was really, really good. The finish sucked. I kind of expected the finish to suck. But then by the time the, the Seth Rollins and Damian Priest match came on, I was like not ready for another 20-minute match. I was like, I got mine. 
now let's see something happen here. What's what's going to happen? And that was sort of my instinct watching it. And I don't know if that's just because I've watched so much WWE in the past that I'm sort of trained. My brain is trained to think that. And then they went, you know, they had another good wrestling match. But I was like, I was kind of okay with that Kevin Owens and Gunther one. And I wanted to see something different, which I don't know if other people feel that way. But so I was I, I was explaining to my wife because she came with me to Double or Nothing. She'd never been to a wrestling event before. She'd wanted to go uh, because um, uh, Meltzer's significant other had asked her to come. She's like, I'm going to be in Vegas. Do you want to come? We'll do spa day. And I don't, I don't really like to pressure her to have anything to do with this stuff. Like, cause I'm caught up in so much, you know, I've, I'm a giant Warriors fan. You don't want to expose her to the booger eaters as well. No, it's, it's 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 not even that because she has a good <laughs> she has a good understanding because she taught English in Korea for a year. It's storytelling, okay. And she has a recollection of like twelve and thirteen year old boys and what they were into in the early two thousands, and it was American wrestling. It was WWE. So she like understands like the draw of it. But she had never been to a live show. And so I was trying to explain to her, you know, the difference between WWE and, and AEW. And I was saying how, you know, Vince McMahon trained his audience to like a specific style. He was very diligent in promoting that style. And like now the fan base really has an understanding of the product that he's putting out there for better and for worse. And in AEW, Tony has to cater to all the other wrestling styles in the world. And so it's a much harder job Mm -hmm. for Tony to appease so much variety. Because if you're a Lucha fan, you'll like the Lucha stuff. uh, But you'll also understand that, you know, it's a very rare occasion when those guys are going to get a big win over an American star. And now we have the Forbidden Door show coming and you have the New Japan style. And I think I think Tony is willing to book uh, some of the New Japan folks because of that partnership over some of his guys. But like if you if you come into it as like, I like this style, you're not always going to see your favorites win. And so Tony has to figure out how to make all of these different people happy, which is a really hard job, I think, versus Vince is like force feeding us for the last 50 years and saying, okay. You just have to like what I'm giving you. Yeah. I I mean, I think that assessment is 100% accurate. I think that's part of the reason, too, why I saw a lot of people say they didn't like the Chris Jericho and Adam Cole unsanctioned match. And the reason I think that's the case, and I was having this conversation with one of my patrons, actually, who's a very intelligent, smart wrestling fan. And he brought this point up, and, and I tried to dig a little deeper into it. That unsanctioned match that we saw between Chris Jericho and Adam Cole, I didn't think it was a bad match, but it was a match that you could have seen on Monday Night Raw in 2001. Sure. The way it was laid out, the way it was structured. The ladder match, the Christian Cage and Wardlow ladder match. I like that ladder match for the record. I thought it was different than a lot of AEW ladder matches. But the reason it was different than a lot of AEW ladder matches is because it had more the vibe of a story-driven ladder match that you probably would see on WWE TV back in 2005. That's not what the AEW audience is used to when you're talking an unsanctioned match or a ladder match. 
they went a more classic WWE story heavy approach in their respective matches. And that I think didn't connect with the AW audience. That's why I say, don't shy away from your audience. Don't shy away from your base. Give them what they want at the end of the day and they'll leave happy. And I say that across all companies oh, thank you for the little plug there that's much appreciated <laughs> but <laughs> yeah um you you could legitimately send them home happy every time if you just give them what they want right right uh and he, i i put it on on the video but if you're listening on the podcast and if you want to check out john's patreon uh, patreon.com front slash wrestling according to alba and it looks like there's a few different uh, price points or even easier place. wrestling according to alba.com if you like there you go a nice short url That's smart we're, we're on top of that buddy. very smart very smart um no you know it's it's a great it's a great argument um and i you know what i find fascinating and and we'll we'll sort of uh, leave the the pro wrestling product and dig into more stuff but what i find fascinating is that now uh, there's a lot of people who previously like, cause I've, I've been doing sort of what I would call practice podcasts since gosh, since I don't know, 2008 or something, knowing that these things aren't going to see the light of day, just try to figure out what works. We'll put them out to like a very small community. And then at some point the syndication is just going to become easier and, and, and we'll get it out there. That's, you know, that's pretty much what happened. But we as fans, like, I, 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 this does happen in other sports, but this is actually a good question for you because you uh, come from real sports as well. Uh, do you think pro wrestling fans, because of the nature of not only the in-ring, but also the storylines, like why do pro wrestling fans have that instinct to want to do a podcast or to create content or to have a YouTube channel versus like, my dad watching the giants like he doesn't have any he doesn't care for his thoughts to get out there except for the text me. i mean there are a lot of sports podcasts out there there are many more sports podcasts than there are pro wrestling podcasts out there and i think part of the reason for that i call it the espnization of sports mm-hmm. fans, where since the whole embrace debate mentality came in Everyone wants a podcast where they can just give their thoughts on the sports world. And and I get it. Listen, 2000 and God, what was it, 2007, I think, was the first time I ever dabbled into sports <laughs> broadcasting. It was it, the podcasting didn't exist then. It, it was legitimately online sports talk radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Really bad connection. And you would go live. You Were you a part that. of the blog talk radio community? I was not, but I I I, I was a guest on shows on blog yeah. talk yeah, radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was an old site called Ucaster that was a, a, a beta test that I got my start on that so many people who started with me have gone on to do amazing things. It's so cool seeing that. But yeah. uh, aside from that, my point here being, uh, th- I think people have always wanted to be part of that space because you can give your opinions. As far as pro wrestling podcasting goes, I think that, the different element of pro wrestling is it is scripted. So not only can a fan give their opinion of, I liked this or I didn't like this. They can also give their opinion on here's how I would have done it. Right, 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 right. Where that doesn't exist in any other sports realm. And when someone is a creative type or wants to be a creative type and has that desire to put an opinion out there like that, well, 
that's where you get discovered. I mean, look at Will Washington. Will Washington was one of the guys who was doing this a long time ago. And it had merit because now he's one of Tony Khan's right-hand men. And yeah, I just, that, that story is fat. That story is fascinating. And I, I'm a big fan of his very much. Um, so. I, I, when was it be the first time I talked to him? It had to be at least on, on something like this, uh, had to be at least a couple years ago. Uh, and to see where he's gone and, and, you know, I, you could se- you could sense his, his savviness going all the way back to, like you said, like way back. Cause he was doing video stuff like before, most uh, most anybody else was in uh, I know Zarian Andrew said you know that that they both were into like some of the same stuff back then too because in order to be able to do that stuff you had to understand the tech side of things yep. and they both come from that background as well so it's really it's really great to see uh, no but that- I'm not convinced that Andrew Zarian is not part of the mafia by the way, <laughs> the I'm just putting that out there publicly so everyone's everyone's aware of that 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 would be great for we're live pal if he was secretly. <laughs> Uh, but uh, if if someone came to you and uh, you know, we'll talk about the the uh, the other thing that you have going on, which is the Alba Media School. But if someone came to you and was like, "John, I have this great idea for a podcast. Um, you know, here's how it would be different. Uh, here's what I would like to like. Do you have? I'm sure you get asked like, "How do I do this?" A, a lot. I get asked uh, from time to time too. And like, but what, but like, how do you give advice on, on fo- like, what do you tell them? Here's how you, here's how I would do it. Or here's how you could separate yourself because there's well, you so said, many of them out there. You said the, the big thing right at the beginning there was how do you be different? Cause that is the key in success in any element of broadcasting specifically, let alone podcasting. It's, it's how are you different? What makes you stand out? What, what about your idea is different than everything that's already out there in the space. And I can't sit here and tell you what's going to work and what doesn't work. I've had projects where I thought we would be knocking it out of the park in terms of numbers and it hasn't happened. Yeah. I have projects where I had very low expectations and all of a sudden there I'll, I'll be very candid with you. I had no idea what to expect with strictly business with Eric Bischoff had no idea what to expect. Obviously Eric's a big name, but a podcast that is kind of different. It's about the business side of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what kind of audience there was going to be for that, but we collaborated and came up with the concept and it's been pretty successful so far. It's been more successful than the Hardy podcast and the Hardy podcast for me, that was like a no brainer in terms yeah. of what the structure was going to be. Uh, Cause I know the caliber of a storyteller that Matt is. I was like, this is how we're going to do this. And you know, just sometimes you, you never really know not to say it's not successful, but it's, there are there are just so many out there. When we started doing the Wives of Wrestling podcast that I was doing, I thought that that concept was going to be a home run. That was a fascinating idea, for and, sure. And I thought it was going to be a home run, and I still, for the record, think it can be. But just certain elements got in the way, and unfortunately, we weren't able to get it super far off the ground. And also, you need, like... It's not just you who can who drives it. There's multiple people you need buy-in from, and not everyone's on the same page all the time. 100%. And that's ultimately what it comes down to yeah. for a project like that. Um, but I, I still, you know, I, I still think that there's a lot of good ideas that are untapped out there in not just the wrestling space in general. I I don't want to give too much out there publicly. But like <laughs> I've, I've, there are ideas that I've wanted to work on that I think come from the wrestling space 
that haven't been attempted in the pro sports space that I'm like, this would work perfectly. And I I've tried to get some stuff rolling with ideas like that. So again, I don't want to go too into specifics, but I think that we can all learn from, I, I think it's totally fine to draw inspiration from things that exist in other mediums. Right. And then make it your own, find a way to make it unique. I think that's totally kosher. Now, here's where I want to dig even deeper into what you do, because you I don't even are... know what I do, so I'd love to <laughs> further go ahead. Please. But you, you are hosting a few uh, successful podcasts here. Uh, you are a host, a podcast host, but you're also a journalist. And then we sort of dovetail into the difference in, in content creation. But the one thing is, is that you are a professional voice. If, if people are listening to this, they can hear the difference between me hemming and hawing a little bit and trying to get my question out and you taking a half a second in what you're going to say and using the same rhythm and using uh, sentence structure. Nobody is hearing you say, um, nobody is hearing you stumble over your words. You are a professional speaker and that adds to your dynamic of what you can do better than other people. Now, not everyone's going to have that training. Not everyone's going to go through the same training that you did. But in order to do what you do, your voice is your instrument, and you have a polish that very few podcasters out there are going to have. That is what separates you in, in my eyes. But kind of explain that, because I don't... I. And the reason why I wanted to mention the whole wrestling podcast thing mm -hmm. is because there aren't many professionals doing it. It is very much a starter yeah, kit, do it yourself, which is fantastic because it's you great. can get your voice out there. But there's also a, a polish to what you can do that not everybody can do. For, and I'm very appreciative of everything you said. But for the record, I, I still um and ah every now and then. I stutter words every now and then. I think human nature that is just part of what we do and how we have conversation there, there's one thing i want to push back on a little bit where you're saying there's a difference in the voice there's a different i've developed this concept and this is kind of part of some of my teachings that i do that i work on with aspiring on-air talent specifically right. i call it the the mr rogers method there we go Mr. Rogers, we're all familiar with him, or if you're not familiar with him, do a Wikipedia Fred Rogers. Fascinating documentary that came Very out fascinating. years ago, too. Very fascinating. There was something about Fred Rogers' delivery and on-air presence that I always found to be so fascinating. And it was that when Mr. Rogers talked to you, you felt like he was speaking just to you. You could have been in a room of... 30 kindergartners watching Mr. Rogers on TV. But you felt like he was speaking directly to you. He would try to avoid using plurals. He would say, how are you, my friend, versus my friends. Right. St small things like that. I've tried to incorporate that in all of my on-air work. When I was hosting the 30-minute sports show in Orlando on TV... It was just me, solo standing for 30 minutes. Wow. And there'd be thousands of people watching this at any given time. And every moment that I stared directly into that camera, 
it was a conversation between me and that one person watching. Right. That I think is the difference between a polished broadcaster per se, and maybe someone who's a little more DIY. And there's nothing wrong with that for the record at all. I think that people like listening to individuals who feel like they're communicating just with them individually. And you don't even think about it consciously. It's very subconscious thing. I also have friends in the industry who like how I'm talking right now is how I sound in doing anything. Right. But I have friends in the industry who will be on air and, you know, the Yankees last night, they played the Blue Jays, and that's not their voice. That's like the old Walter Cronkite <laughs> yeah. way of doing things, right? To me, that is a disconnect. Mm-hmm. I And to each their own. They can have their own strategy, and many of them are more successful than I. I think it's important to be your most authentic and personal self. And sure, having the reps that I've had will help you. That I think is ultimately the difference between myself and maybe someone who's podcasting at home. If I was anchoring my first on-air job, I was a sports director. So I was anchoring three times a night, five nights a week minimum. Put the math together. That's about a thousand times on air a year. Yeah. Not more than that. That's the difference between how someone presents themselves on a more amateur level versus a professional level. I had so much respect for people who were doing the on-air uh, TV stuff when I was in, in college at San Jose State. I loved radio. I felt like, I think, that, you know, th- there's obviously a little bit of a, of a shield or a disguise in radio that you don't have when you're doing TV. You are, you know, just naked up there on TV. And I, I was always... So impressed with the people who could do TV well because there you had to fight through whatever that uh, fear was, I guess is what, what you would call it. Like you had to really be in love with the idea of this camera coming at you. And that was always hard for me. I didn't like doing TV. Uh, even when we would have to do our our weekend, uh, you know, uh, our weekend TV broadcast for the for the station, I was I was always like, you know, I'll do the least because I just don't like it. But I was so opposite on the radio stuff. Like I just fascinated by radio, and I think it probably be it's probably because when I'm growing up, so this is the mid to late '80s, and I'm listening to baseball games Mm -hmm. and those are my first storytellers those are the the first people who actually pique my interest um in 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 using their voice to to tell a story sorry radio play-by-play people are the most talented broadcasters in the industry i'm listening to al michaels's book which was he probably wrote this book like 10 years ago yeah but the audible version, he he doesn't do every chapter. He probably does one every four or five chapters. But listening to his little insider tricks to the trade and, and stuff is is awesome because I was like, man, you know, if I had access to this when I was still in college, you know, just the little tidbits of knowledge. Like he's not even trying to teach anybody how to do this. He's just kind of explaining his career. But the little the little things that he would do on radio versus on TV, because he does have like s- several 
uh, paragraphs about the difference in how he saw his job being different in radio and television. But yeah, the, that was my first, those were my first uh, heroes were, you know, whoever's doing Giants radio because, and this is so different than today, you couldn't get the home games on TV. So you would watch the, the away games on TV and you'd listen to all the home games on radio. And that's how I consumed, you know, my local teams, uh, you know, back then. But going back to, to what you said, I, I, I hope nobody took it as an affront that I was against do-it-yourself podcasters. My entire, the, the network that this show is going to go on on the audio side is full of do-it-yourself podcasters. Uh, there's very few of us who have had actual training in journalism or in radio, TV, film, or anything like that. It is really just the passion for what you want to talk about. And also, this comes up a lot when I talk to people who do this, the fandom of radio and specifically Howard Stern. That's Zarian. That's his biggest influence. You're kidding me. <laughs> Dave Meltzer, Howard Stern. I, I, I loved Stern as well, um, but being in, in on the West Coast, I didn't really get to hear it until it was syndicated yeah. over here. Yeah. But, you know, even people listen to Howard today, and he's a much different product than he oh, yeah. was back then. It's, it's so different. But he is still influential today, and it's not like you're influenced by him because he was on television or had a movie made. It's all through audio, and that's also... Uh, fascinating. And you weren't a private parts fan. No, I love I love private parts. I read the book. I read Miss America. I even uh, recently downloaded. Uh, he put out a book a couple years ago where it was sort of the post whack pack stuff uh, of his interviews. And so you know, it's it's not as fun because you know I'm not secretly laughing to myself like a child. But like I, I just find that that you know you go back. And Howard is, you know, he used to say he was the king of all media. Really, he was the king of radio. And he was able to successfully do stuff in other forms of media. But it goes, it's, it's the audio stuff that is what was influential no matter what. No matter, no matter how many TV shows he's tried to do, it's still the radio. I would rather hear him through my car speakers or my headphones than any other way. I don't even want to see him. I can visualize what he looks like when he's talking. And that is the part that, you know, maybe people who are growing up in a, you know, a little bit of a later era that that may not be big as big to them because radio is not as big anymore. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand everything you just said. I, I think that there were individuals who had a larger than life presence across that medium. And that's why they were able to find success. And they were innovators. Howard Stern was an innovator. It was an innovator. And as a result, you see the impact that he has today. And you said learning from Howard Stern. You might not even be directly learning from Howard Stern as a broadcaster because Howard Stern may have directly impacted so many other broadcasters that you learned from. Yeah, exactly. so in, indirectly, you're learning from them. So talking about the both the Matt Hardy show and the Eric Bischoff show, what is the difference in preparation or is it similar to how you prepare to do both shows? Nope. Totally different. Totally, totally different. Um, see, there's a number right there. <laughs> you get that one though. Cause you, cause uh, I caught you, I caught you a little off guard. Hardy, with the questions. Hardy, so you show, 
Hardy show is significant amounts of preparation. I was just prepping before I got on here with you because we're going to tape tonight. I use a lot of my TV preparation with Matt Hardy. I, so my mentor in the industry is, if you're a sports fan, you know this name. If you're like an actual sports fan, uh, Ian Eagle, who's oh, absolutely a prolific play-by-play guy. He's my mentor. And uh, the biggest piece of advice I learned from him when I was 15 years old was pre-production is production. The amount of work you put in ahead of time is going to ultimately reflect in your product. So with Hardy... Well, I have a list of topics that I've planned out throughout the year. Then I will go, I'll, I'll lay out some opening topics that because he likes talking some current events at the beginning. So we'll hit on some current stuff. And then I will spend hours and hours and hours digging through the topic of the day. I will go through different resources. I will watch material, whatever it may be. And I will jot notes down. Sometimes I'll write things in full. But, and I was just tweeting about this today, actually. I would say of all the material that I collect for that, maybe 40% of it gets used. My interviewing style for podcasting and in general is entirely based in follow-ups. So I'll have a loose format of where I want to take our conversation. And it helps Matt know and where to jog his memory. But if he says something and I find something about what he said interesting, I'm going to follow up off that. And that will then guide the course of the conversation. I think that's what the best interviews are when you're going entirely off follow-ups. I never, never pre-plan questions for any interview that I do. I might have an idea of things I want to talk about, but I will never pre-plan a question. Because if you pre-plan a question, you are boxing yourself in and you will miss what they're saying. There's a free piece of advice for anyone who wants to do this. As far as Bischoff goes, Bischoff is much more go with the flow. Mm -hmm. He likes to really play it off the cuff. I will try to do a lot of the legwork in coming up with ideas for what we will talk about. But there's very little pre-production in terms of research and elements because he really likes to go off the skin of his teeth and say what he's going to say his show is very difficult to do eric bischoff is a very difficult person to do a podcast with and i don't mean that as a as a slight on him it's certainly not it's actually a compliment on him because he's very quick he's very intelligent and i need to really be on my best on my top of my game and be ready to think on my feet with eric because i never know what he's going to throw back my way yeah and that is a challenge, but it pushes me as a broadcaster to be better, too. And it makes it so much fun for you as well, because, you know, you're doing this and you want to present a good show. You want to present a, uh, a good information facts. But at the same time, if he says something that is not on in your notes or that you weren't going with and then you have to go there, you're kind of, oh. I'm I'm sitting up here now. I got to, you know, I really got to focus on what he's saying versus, you know, sort of my outline and where I want to go. That that's, that's gotta be a a challenge. Like you said, but that's also gotta be part of the charm of being able to do stuff with him. It is. And Eric and I have very different perspectives of modern wrestling too. Very. (laughs) I can imagine. So that can create tension sometimes, but that's good content at the end of the day. 
But if I'm going to come at him, I need to be convicted. Because he will be, he will be convicted. I've never met someone with someone with more conviction (laughs) than Eric Bischoff. Even if Eric has no idea what he's talking about and he's bullshitting 100% of the way, I've never seen someone speak with more conviction. He could tell me, John, the sky is indeed green, and here's why, and he will say it with so much conviction. That I'm like, I want to argue back, but I know if I do, it's just gonna make me look stupid. I'm uh, I'm rewatching the '96 Nitros and pay-per-views, so this is Eric. Eric's doing a better Vince McMahon than Vince McMahon oh, at this point. Yeah. He is he is the lead play-by-play, so every single storyline direction is coming directly out of his mouth. He's trying to get over the baby faces for some reason. He's also trying to get over. Lex Luger, who's doing a heel character, he's also ta- he's also being sensitive to to people hating on Lex. I'm 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 waiting for the payoff on that one. I'm not exactly sure why it's happening, but he's he's doing such a good job at promoting. And and we talked about this uh, when we were talking AWWE, the difference between WCW and WWF. Like he's getting these points across. This is what you get with the old, you know, and outdated WWF. And here's what you're getting with the new. Ver- which and the new version of WCW is really a lot of old WWF characters sort of reborn with different shine on them, right? With different shine. And so uh, I say this because uh, people who know us know that our podcast partners may not be the, the best of friends, especially on social media. So that I, I didn't want to make, I didn't want it to feel like there was an elephant in the room, but last year at all out, we were talking about how we, we met there uh, in person for the first time. You guys, uh, the ad free guys had a, like a convention, uh, at the same hotel that I was, that we were staying at. And so I got to see Eric and this man holds court. (laughs) This dude is so damn charming and personable. His presence is remarkable, isn't it? And likable. I was just amazed at because, you know, there's lots of wrestlers going in and out like we, you know, Johnny, uh, John Morrison is hanging out and, you know, fist bumping with people. And there's lots of it. It was really like uh, a cornucopia of like tons of wrestlers that you would remember who were there. Jeff Jarrett was there. And the single biggest star, I would say, uh, to the fans that were there was Bischoff. And that is something right like here here's here's something that it, it, sh- it doesn't really bother me but i kind of think of it as a major what if we had this wwf and wcw uh war going going through until wcw gets bought out and you have eric bischoff who could have been like this you know he's not going to be a1 to vince's uh a2 but you could have created this storyline where these two heads of these companies are fiercely embattled. And I think they may have even wanted to go that way, but soon, soon Eric kind of becomes like more of a comedy character. And, uh, you know, Vince probably feeling uh, very powerful at that moment, but I I just, it, it just mind boggling to me that you had such a great performer who really couldn't be that same performer on WWF TV. I don't, think people recognize eric for truly yeah people i think look at eric as oh the guy from wcw and he was 
the man calling the shots. I genuinely, and this might be a controversial take, I believe the best Eric Bischoff is Eric Bischoff, the TV character. He's I he 100%. Unbelievable as a TV character. He, I, from my indie work, there's no one I've borrowed more from than Eric Bischoff, the TV character, especially even, even Raw GM Eric Bischoff, because he rolled with everything. Yes. He did everything that was asked of him. He showed versatility. He showed range. His, I mean, you know that smile and the swagger. And the pointing to the and dimple the and the tilting the, the head. Oh, yeah. He j- and he was so, you just wanted to sock him across the face. That is the essence of a great pro wrestling character. And you talk about somebody who took things from his previous training. He had modeled, so he knows how to stand in front of a camera. He knows the angles to show. Uh, he was doing the, the, the TV stuff from earlier before he became an executive. And so he had, he had multiple talents. And, you know, in the end, he, he's not going to be seen as the, the best businessman. But I do think he is so undervalued as an on-screen, on-air talent. Like, I get why he's not currently working in AEW. Like, there's, you know, there's differences in, in what you want to portray in AEW. But... I mean, there is room. If you're going to bring back Jeff Jarrett for a role in AEW, there is room for a Bischoff character, too. You could have a a small old school group there. Um, But, you know, not saying that that's something that that WWE tried to do in 1998 with the NWA. Yeah, yeah, totally. So bad. They they just wanted those guys to. And ironically, Jeff Jarrett, too. And, And, you know, you know, you say Jim Cornette. I was convinced in the early stages of AEW and I had the, you know, I'm close to Dave. So I would hear things and Dave would hear things and he'd tell them to me. So I had this concept of AEW before anybody really knew what AEW was. I was convinced that Jim Cornette versus the young bucks or versus the elite was a fire program from day one. I think a lot of people would have thought the same. And they work themselves into a shoot, and they ruin the whole thing. Now it may be it may be okay for for Cornette's uh, podcasting career because he's got so many topics on top of topics to to discuss about that stuff. But man, you know there is an aspect of AEW where I do wish there was an element a little bit of more old school pro wrestling storytelling. Uh, but to Tony Khan's point, you know maybe that's what has failed pro wrestling in the past, and you need to constantly move forward. That was just to say, even though Dave and Eric don't really get along and they have their differences of opinions about things that happen, um, I just wanted to to make sure people knew that I thought Bischoff was just fantastic now, on screen. Yeah, and I think he still has some value. It's funny draft. that you bring all that up because I think Eric does respect Dave's knowledge of pro wrestling and Dave's vast historian-esque tome that he has built over time. I think Eric's issues with Dave stem from reporting over the years. And I think there were probably missteps in on both entities. I think both entities created issues with one another over the years. And listen, when, when you're a reporter at that level, like Dave is, you are 
in a public light that is a very difficult place to be, especially in an industry that's real, but that's also not real. It's a weird slope to try to walk. And there were times where I'm sure back in the 90s, it was very beneficial for Eric Bischoff to talk to Dave personally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And now it's on the other side of things. And, and Dave would say the same thing about Vince McMahon. When Vince McMahon needed Dave as the, a mouthpiece to a specific set of fans, Vince would talk directly to Dave. That's just how it worked. And, you know, this it's interesting because the, the whole media versus I didn't even think about this until you just said that um, the media and their relationship and their responsibility in pro wrestling. I was wondering if you found that different than in other sports, yeah. because yeah. <laughs> we have this CM Punk thing happening where CM Punk and 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 FTR have kind of uh frowned upon the the media uh Brian Alvarez is 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 was the the target in, in some instances and I was trying to explain to some folks and saying how you know the 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 relationship between media and talent doesn't need to be copacetic but it needs to be beneficial and cooperative because for the pro wrestlers Having a good relationship with the media means you're going to get covered, means it's going to be better for your business. The business of you, the business of CM Punk, the brand, if he's covered in a way where he's getting information out, that's free press in a sense. Not free. It's still his time and his relationships. But to be antagonistic towards that, that is what is sort of brought up. And that is what the the twitter fan base or whatever hears and then you have this like butting of the heads of who's right who's wrong blah 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 and i was just telling some folks like i just wish it was different because but i wonder if it's because pro wrestling is ultimately exists in kayfabe that you believed that this was the route that uh we're going in right now i think a lot of pro wrestling be it from the wrestlers to media to fans exists in a bubble. It is an industry built on a lie. It is unlike anything else out there in the entertainment forum, in the sports forum. It's unlike anything. Is there a magician newsletter out there? (laughs) (laughs) So because of that, people often only know one way. I think for me, one of the things that I tried to bring with me as I emerged more in the wrestling space from the pro sports world was trying to show people, hey, there are different ways to cover this. There are different ways to go about this, positioning yourself in certain ways. And I agree with you. I think it's beneficial for wrestlers to leverage relationships with the media, not even just for favorable coverage, but because... I think a wrestler putting themselves out there into that arena is more beneficial than even a pro athlete because a pro athlete 95% of the time, unless you're talking like MMA or boxing or golf, even though who the hell knows what's going on with that. <laughs> but, but you're restricted to a team. Sure. The day. Whereas here, as you kind of said, you are your own brand. Yeah. So I do think it's important to leverage positive relationships and, For even when 
someone misrepresents something, then you have something to stand on. I'll, I'll use an example. It's a, that's the that's the best point and and one that I was trying to make. Where if something is misspoken, then you clear it up, and then you get the right story out there. I'll use an example. This past week's Hardy podcast, Matt made a comparison with Orange Cassidy and The Undertaker. Now, on the service, you're like, what the hell, Orange <laughs> Cassidy and The Undertaker? And so many wrestling fans saw a Wrestling Incorporated headline that said, uh, Matt Hardy compares Orange Cassidy to The Undertaker without clicking, without listening, without all, ends up on Cornette's message board. All yeah, 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 yeah. What Matt was saying was not, yeah, Orange Cassidy and The Undertaker are a lot alike. What he was saying was, the relationship that Orange Cassidy has established with Tony Khan, where Tony Khan is actively depending on Orange Cassidy to go out there and be his guy on TV, be his ratings guy right now. And he asked him to wrestle a variety of different opponents in a variety of different types of matches. He says that is similar to what he witnessed with Vince and The Undertaker back in the day, where The Undertaker was always Vince's guy that Vince could count on to go out there in any segment, in any feud, and deliver for him. That's the comparison he was making. And I listen, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I never yeah. even thought of it like that. And I'm not there. So if, if he's saying this, then he has some perspective of this. Right. And he worked with both guys. So he has some perspective of that. But then you get all these websites who are, and listen, I get it. I understand. You're trying to put a aggregation, baby. Right. I get it. Um, but there was one. Uh, from Fightful, and I love Fightful. I think Fightful does an awesome job. Fantastic. But I, I felt they misrepresented the headline. And I wrote to the author of the piece. I was like, hey, just so you know, like Matt has a great relationship with you know different members of the media, and even he's feeling miffed about this because yeah. he feel like this was not representing what was actually discussed. And I had the conversation with the writer. And I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is your job here's the headline that I would have done for something like this, because mm-hmm. this is what I think accurately reflects what was said. And they had a conversation internally and, and they changed their headline to accurately represent what was actually said. Right. Versus Matt Hardy compares these two characters, the orange taker, you know, That's actually <laughs> a fascinating comparison yeah. though, because the other thing that is similar is the spirit of the orange Cassidy character is, always there and yeah. the spirit of the undertaker existed until you know recently. I, just recently well like, and that's he, what matt said too he's like you know on top of that they're both outlandish characters that are always in all the time yeah but that wasn't the point he was making right he was right, adding right. that on as an right. addition right but the point was about how tony has relied on orange cassidy in that way and he noticed that was similar how vince relied on the undertaker and yeah the undertaker is going to be a wrestler that at the end of the history books will be 75 times more popular than Orange Cassidy because The Undertaker is in that pantheon. Iconic, yeah. Icons, right. But that doesn't mean that you have to discredit what Orange Cassidy is accomplishing right now in his own right. No, not at all. Not at all. He's the best book babyface on AEW television in my I opinion. think Orange Cassidy is one of the best pro wrestlers in the world right now. And I know he was asked about that in the press conference and he adamantly denied it, but for reasons that I explained ad nauseum on our podcast already. I think that Orange Cassidy is one of the best wrestlers in the world. All right. Uh, I think people can understand by this conversation. I could literally talk to you for five more hours about this stuff, but you have a job to do. 
You have some work uh, and you have some podcasts to record. But before we get out of here, I just want you to uh, plug the the media school stuff because that nobody is doing that right yeah now. and you know not enough people are taking advantage of what i I, 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 I can imagine it's a hard sell yeah. because of the diy thing that we just yeah that we just talked about but i mean you're talking about somebody who you went to school and trained and have the reps and are willing to share information and share secrets about how to do this thing uh i'm i'm hopeful that that more people get interested in it because uh it's it, it, it's 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 somewhere where if more people were thinking like you, I think the podcast industry for for wrestling would be going in, in a much more professional, uh, you I know, slant and, and and such. So, but I did I did want because you know I want you to get this out so more people understand Thank what you're you. doing. Yeah, and maybe it's on me. Maybe I need to retool my approach to this. I, I originally when I was going to launch this coaching service. I was going to have more of a structured plan in place for, hey, here's what I'll be doing talking about this. Here's what I'll be doing talking about this. But I ended up changing it because I recognized that so many people out there have different skill sets they want to improve on. It's not one size fits all. In my career, I've done what I feel to be pretty much everything in media. Mm -hmm. I've worked at the national level, the regional level, the local level. I've covered every single sport there is under the sun. I've covered news. I've covered lifestyle. I've been in radio, television, digital, every element of broadcasting, podcasting. So my skill set, I feel, is pretty well-rounded that I could help anyone in whatever they want to do. I've had people come at me for advice on interviewing, on-air performance, writing, podcasting, whatever it may be. And I offer these individual sessions that you can book where I will tailor to whatever you want to work on. If you feel you need to get better on camera or cut out your ums and your uhs, I'm going to help you with that. If you are a journalist on television who wants to be better with storytelling and writing scripts, I'm going to help you with that. Whatever it may be, I try to tailor myself in these individual coaching sessions to whatever the person needs so that's my mentality with the album media school i'm i would love to get more traffic with it it started really really hot i had a lot of interest and over time it's kind of faded a little bit but i would love to get anyone who's even just curious or even if you have no idea where to start i'm gonna help you start i'm gonna help you i'm gonna point you in the right direction i can help you with equipment i can help you with all that stuff uh, so i do appreciate you pl- let me plug that albummediaschool.com and uh you know, it reminds me of when the pandemic happened, Lance Storm, who had just recently stopped yes. his school, his tape study stuff. That he, he was doing the tape yeah. stuff. And I was just fascinated to learn who was interested in reaching out to him because, I mean, who better to learn fundamentals from than, than Lance Storm to get him to kind of pick apart what, what you're doing? And I sort of see the, the same thing here, which is this is what I want to improve on. And, you know, here, maybe, maybe if you even have a guest, I don't know if you look at tape or you listen to, to things, small mm-hmm. segments of stuff to help people, but what a fascinating way to, uh, to grow in a career that is, or it's not even necessarily have to be a career. It could just be a passion. I want to get better at this passion. Most of them are passion. Yeah. So no, fantastic stuff. Hey man, uh, at, at some other time, I would love to do more of this because sure. I think your career is fascinating. I know that 
you know, you probably uh, could handle uh, even more projects your way. So, you know, I hope the most success that you could possibly have in this stuff. I like to see people who actually put in the work, get, get the payoff for putting in the work. So I'm always following your stuff. I'm rooting you on no matter what. Likewise. And uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to have you on. We're live pal at some point again. And I would love to bring you on here because this stuff to me, I like talking about this stuff more than wrestling. Don't me, tell anybody. Me too. But, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, we're on the same page with that. Yeah. But thanks again, everybody. Check out John Alba, the Patreon, Wrestling According to Alba, and then uh, hit John up for any opportunities to talk to him uh, in sessions with, with, about media stuff. John, thank you a ton. We'll do it again. Thank you so much, man.